It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time for part three of the mailbag. So for that, we bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbly. So let's jump right back into the mailbag. Next question comes in from Tristan Snowsill. He says... How do the Jets investigate slash interview Zach Wilson's character concerns? Assuming they like him on tape, how can you tell someone's character? Well, let's start with the supposed character concerns. Now, let's make this clear. There could very well be things that we don't know about. But of the things that have been talked about so far, they seem sort of ridiculous. The fact that he comes from a rich family, so what? So did the Mannings, so did Andrew Luck, so did John Elway, so did plenty of other quarterbacks who turn out to be really good in the NFL. Not worried about that. Then the whole charge of him being a spoiled brat or not a leader. Well, when you talk to people that played with him or coached him who have come out and rebuke this, it doesn't seem to match up with what these reports are saying. This, to me, feels a lot like draft season smokescreen stuff where teams are throwing things out there because they want him to drop and maybe draft them themselves. We see this every year. But as far as other stuff that we may not know about, how do you go about finding that out? Let's put it this way. The Jets and all these other teams are billion-dollar enterprises. They've got private investigators. They can talk to everybody from his family members to his friends to his coaches to his teammates to the person who is his third-grade English teacher. If there's stuff to find, they can find it. It's no different than, as Jets fans since 1988 said in the comments, doing a security clearance for a government position. You go full blast because you're talking about somebody that you're going to be making a major investment in to be the face of your franchise, and you find out everything that you need to find out. But I'll say the stuff that we've heard so far wouldn't concern me at all. If there are other things, the Jets and other teams will likely find out about them before the draft. That's what happened with Josh Rosen. There were things that some people didn't really know about that were character concerns with him above and beyond the nonsense that we heard on the surface. So if there's stuff underneath, these teams will figure it out because, as I said, they're billion-dollar enterprises. They've got tons of people that are paid to do this and that specialize in it. So they'll leave no stone unturned, especially when you're talking about a quarterback that might be picked at number two overall. Yeah, they're going to... They're going to call everybody on uh, that BYU staff. They're going to get in touch with people from his high school uh, coaching staff. They're going to um, talk to people from other schools that recruited him. They're going to talk to other schools that uh, played him. 
that the teams have FBI profiler type investigations into these players. Uh, like you said, they are, every stone's going to be un- overturned here and looked at. They're going to talk to everybody that they possibly can to get uh, a good idea on this guy. All the character concerns we've heard about, like you said, it's basically he's super rich. He comes from a rich family. He's a spoiled brat. All right. Um, what does that have to do with him playing football? It has absolutely nothing to do with him playing football, as you mentioned, other quarterbacks. Most quarterbacks, I would venture to say, come from uh, uh, you know parents with at least – overly comfortable money um so that's not something and listen i i grew up a rich area came from money uh i know plenty of super spoiled people and a lot of them are awful but some of them are still completely responsible and go and do their job and work just as hard as everybody else um one thing I'll, I'll say is you brought up the uh, the idea that maybe, you know, teams are putting this stuff out there as smoke. And I don't think that's the case because scouts hate players that come from money. They hate it. Uh, NFL scouts, nothing will drive them crazier than being like, oh, but he came from money. And it doesn't matter how long they've been doing it and how many times they've seen somebody come from money, come and have a great career, or how many times they've seen kids come from nothing and still squander it. It doesn't matter. There's something ingrained in scouts where they just, they have like, just, oh, he comes from money? Never mind. Uh, That's the mindset that a lot of scouts have. So, I'm sure there is some smoke going on there, but I also just think scouts are dumb in that way. Um, There's a difference between just coming from a rich family and being a complete spoiled brat. But also, NFL quarterbacks are kind of spoiled brats. They all kind of spoiled brats. Uh, They get spoiled. Like, that's teams treat their quarterbacks that way, even if they don't act that way. So I, it's just a, a really weird thing uh, to just have that as like a blatant uh, reason not to uh, draft somebody. Uh, you, you're going to have to give me more than a, he's from a rich family to tell me that a quarterback won't succeed in the NFL. But again, I do truly believe that these scouts truly believe that that matters some of them really do believe that it matters but it's going to come down they're going like i said they're going to talk to the everyone they can at byu they're going to talk to other schools that recruited them they're going to find out why they didn't press harder on it they're going to do all that stuff they're going to find that information out and if they decide all right he's too big of a jerk for us to draft we don't like him all right but it's not going to be well, you know, if his dad just made $100,000 less a year, then we'd take him. That's not that's not how it's going to turn out. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from one of our favorites, Peter J. Dillard. By the way, Chris, I should say, the one thing I'm really going to miss about Gase being gone is no more usurper. Yeah. I may need Peter to randomly throw that word in anyway, just for the sake of it. He says, gentlemen, is there any scenario where 
The Jets keep Sam Darnold for a year, don't pick up his option and draft a quarterback at number two anyway, basically allowing the team not to rush the rookie quarterback, especially if they pick Trey Lance. Also, what are they going to do at linebacker? These linebackers don't seem to fit Salah's system because they can't cover. So let's start with the first part of this. I think that if they keep Darnold but draft a quarterback at number two, it wouldn't be for the reason you talked about, which is to have the kids sit behind Darnold. I think it would be more that they might be trying to put themselves in that Teddy Bridgewater situation. If you'll recall, they signed Bridgewater, and then after they took Darnold, they showcased Bridgewater in the preseason. He looked good, and somebody ponied up a third. It was the Saints because they wanted insurance for Drew Brees. If they keep Darnold after drafting a guy at number two, I think that's most likely what the scenario is. It would either be then or at the trade deadline. You would hope that Darnold looks good enough in the preseason that you could deal him and maybe get good value. And this would only be if they don't get the type of trade offers they're looking for before the draft. As far as the second part of the question, the linebackers. We don't know what to expect from C.J. Mosley. I think his coverage ability has been greatly undersold. He's pretty solid in coverage. The question is, of course, after two years, what are you really getting from him? So we have no idea. We have to see. The rest of the linebackers are sort of irrelevant, aren't they? They're either free agents or they're Jags that probably aren't going to start. I expect to see a bunch of new faces at linebacker for the Jets, so I wouldn't really worry about that right now. Yeah, so I'll, I'll start by echoing what you said about uh, the lack of usurpers going forward. <laughs> I am definitely going to miss that. But Peter, Peter brings it anyway, and because this is something that I, I have been thinking about. And I haven't really had the, uh, the cojones to go ahead and, uh, and talk about it, tweet it, because I, I just didn't want everybody uh, taking it 17 different ways that I didn't intend. But I, it's something I've been thinking about is Jets don't need to trade Arnold now. Uh, now, especially with the talk of possibly being able to get a late first, it makes it less likely to want to hold on. But they don't need to trade him now. And if they got somebody like Trey Lance, who I, I absolutely love, uh, but you know he played one season at uh, North Dakota State, didn't play all last year, you could go ahead and draft him. And then uh, go and say, okay, do what you said or the Teddy Bridgewater thing or just say, you know, hey, if he's not ready this year, we'll just ride it out with Darnold. And then uh, all you're giving there is you missed the chance to bring back that second round pick or late first for trading for Darnold. But you could, they could do that. Um, it is definitely still a possibility and still an option. Um, I don't think – because I think that they could get, you know – a second round pick or two second round picks or a late first, I wouldn't do that. Um, but I, there's worse decisions you could make than just saying, hey, draft Trey Lance and then roll with Darnold for one more year or at least, you know, through training camp and see what happens there. Um, there are worse decisions you can make there. But um, it, it's it's hard with this, uh, the, the Schefter thing about possibly getting a first late first round pick if you could end up with three first round picks in this draft, it's it's hard for me to, that's the thing that's really hanging me up here on being like, yeah, keep Darnold for another year. Who cares? Um, and that, that would be tough to pass up. But I do think that it's a possibility that fans aren't even considering right now that they could kind of hedge and split the difference there. Um, but yeah, I, I would probably guess it's not going to be the case, but I, I do think fans need to like, 
think that it's a possibility at least. I think rolling with Darnold through training camp is a possibility. Anything beyond that, you're getting a little dicey. They could go the route of holding on to him and hoping that somebody gets hurt and trading him before the deadline. That's a possibility too. But I think not dealing him at any point after you use the number two pick on a quarterback would be a bad idea because, as you said, then you lose the opportunity to bring back assets. But, Chris, let's get to the second part of the question. What do you think about the linebacker situation? Yeah, that's actually going to be my next project once I finish going through uh, the Justin Fields and Zach Wilson tape is uh, I'm obviously going to look at the offensive line and the wide receivers, but I want to go through and dig through this uh, draft class to look at linebackers, specifically linebackers that can cover because, yeah, this this team doesn't have them. Um, Like you said with C.J. Mosley, his reputation, uh, he's a better uh, coverage uh, linebacker or he was a better coverage linebacker than his rep- reputation would suggest but the coverage wasn't the strongest part of the game um, and the other guys there, there's nothing there uh, this is one of those things like people are going to judge this defense next year obviously but you got to give Salah at least two years to build the defense in his image uh, they're not going to be able to make all the changes to their scheme fits and get every player and every, in this one off season, they're just not going to be able to do it all. <laughs> so who is it that they're going to, they're going to need to look. Uh, I haven't looked at the who's available free agency wise, but they're going to have to need the, uh, you try to at least draft one linebacker that can cover. You got to start trying to do that right now, because e- even if we just, you know, said that C.J. Mosley will be exactly as good as he was when he last played as coverage, and you still need improvement in the other areas there. So that's going to be something in those uh, um, mid-rounds that I fully expect them to do. We'll look to see if they can upgrade that a little bit in free agency, but that's going to be an important thing that Salo is looking for over these next couple of years is linebackers that can cover there. And then you're also going to have to, uh, you know, C.J. Mosley, like they're going to, if they're running that wide nine, that's going to help uh, defend against uh, outside runs, but it opens things up on the inside there. And that's where C.J. Mosley in his prime, as good as he is, really will help to fill in those gaps there. But they're going to need some other guys to help there. The strong side linebacker to be able to do that. So that's, that is going to be an area that I think that we can see that uh, Salah and the Jets really attack this offseason and try to uh, to severely upgrade because it's a position that is, uh, very much needs to be upgraded. Next question comes in from Jets Midwest. He says, how does the hiring of Salah impact the Jets draft strategy beyond the number two overall pick? The easy answer to this is that Joe Douglas and Robert Salah are going to be looking for players that fit what they want to do. So The impact is that even though you may not necessarily look for a guy that's specifically a fit for your system, you want a guy that's scheme diverse and can fit your system, if that makes any sense. So you want somebody that you know can at least do what you need them to do. And on defense, that means that 4-3 under hybrid, somebody that can perform there. Jeff Ulbrich will obviously have a hand in helping them figure out who to get. Same thing with the offense. You want somebody that is at least malleable to 
to that Shanahan system. So I think that's really where the strategy gets impacted because if you had somebody that ran a different system, there are certain players that may not fit that wouldn't be as good value as they would be in these particular systems. Yeah, I'll tell you the most uh, immediate change is when I do my these mock drafts now on my phone, I have to actually draft defensive players. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I was having a lot of fun before they hired Salah of just doing dr- mock drafts where I picked all offense, and that's not going to happen. That was ne- that was never going to happen anyway. But my dream is dead, and, uh, and there's zero chance that that happens now. But yeah, it's really how it's going to come into play is you're going to see more players drafted for specific reasons in that system. Um, you're going to. They're going to be looking for, you know, more speed rushers to line up on the edge and and that wide line. Like I said, you're going to look for linebackers who can cover and also can fill up those gaps inside to help Quinn and Williams inside because uh, that type of uh, defense really invites uh, offenses to run inside. So you're going to need linebackers who can come in there and fill in the gap. You're going to need uh, cornerbacks who can play that off zone scheme. Uh, those are the types of things uh, you're going to need to look for there. That's what uh, they're going to be looking at identifying. Just like we talked about Kadarius Tony and Kurt- Curtis Samuel will fit exactly what they're trying to do on offense. That is what they're going to look for to try to identify those types of guys to fit exactly the roles that they need to fill on defense. And there's a, there's a bunch of those roles that need to be filled. So that when you see these picks at the time when they get picked, there is going to be a reason like this guy covers really well or th- there's something that they see that's going to work long term in their system. Next question comes in from Joe Horning. He says, if a corner like Farley or Sertan slipped to the 15 to 20 range, could you see Joe Douglas trying to move up from 23 to get one? I think this really depends on how he ranks the corners because I personally love J.C. Horn. So if he was still on the board, I'd just wait and hope that he slips to me at 23. But if Robert Sala, who really likes having that lockdown corner in his system, sees one of those guys as a key to his defense, then it's possible that he could nudge Joe Douglas to trade up for one of them. I think Douglas would probably prefer not to trade up if he doesn't have to. But as we saw with the offensive tackle situation last year, he had multiple deals in place to move up if he needed to. So he'll get aggressive if the situation calls for it. And if Salah really wants one of those guys, I wouldn't be surprised to see him make a move if one of them drops. Yeah, I think I'd still be a little surprised to see them do any uh, trading up and that early. You know, I could see them certainly trading up in like the third, fourth, fifth rounds uh, trying to get a guy. I just don't think that they've built all this draft capital to go ahead and uh, spend draft picks to, uh, to you know, move up a couple spots just to get one cornerback or something. Uh, I won't rule it out. I won't say that I'd be completely surprised. I just wouldn't expect that to happen. But yeah, if there, if there's somebody that uh, that Sala or Lafleur identifies as like this guy will make a huge difference, then I think it's possible. And of course, this is the you know the tricky part about having these conversations because how far are we talking moving up? How much are you giving up to move? Could I see them? Uh, you know, jumping up two spots to go grab a J.C. Horn? Sure. Could I see them dra- uh, jumping 10 spots to do that? No. 
Um, so I could see them doing a little bit of movement in that that late first or second round, uh, but I wouldn't expect them to do any, you know, jump more than like five spots at the most. And I think you're more likely to see them try to trade up, you know, in like the third, fourth, fifth rounds than you would be to see them trade up in the first or second. But uh, again, if, it, if it's just two spots away and they say, okay, hey, uh, we can get, you know, a JC Horn type or Kadarius Tony on offense, we can do that. And we just give up one of those, uh, you know, give up a fifth round pick. Okay, I can see them doing that. But I, I I, think that Joe Douglas is going to try, unless it's for something like Deshaun Watson, I think he's going to try to hold on to most of those picks and, and not give up the value of having so many picks. That's going to wrap up part three of the mailbag. Make sure that you're checking out Chris's very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com and following him on Twitter at CNimbly and at JetsInsider. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time. doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.